Morning. It's great to be here to be able to share God's word with you all. If you're anything like me, um, I actually love putting Bible studies and, and preaching stuff together because it makes me read, it makes me read the Bible. Um, I find it hard sometimes to spend time reading the Bible, but when I've got a job to do, it's great and I learn so much. It's interesting. I find that when I read passages, um, when I have to actually talk about them, I find things in them that I've missed before when I've just read Glossier. Anybody find that sort of thing? I find that all the time. Um, and it's great to be able to go into detail in some of the some of the passages that we've got here today. Now, this is a very fairly familiar passage. Who's, who did this sort of um, passage at Sunday school? Because I did when I was when I was very much younger. Yeah, we used to have a uh, a teaching um, uh, material made by the Trowell organisation. Anyone have that sort of? No, it was sort of in the sixties. Not the 1860s, the 1960s, when I was young, talking to the wrong audience. The people over there at, at nine o'clock had no trouble um, identifying with what I had to say. No trouble whatsoever. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to introduce this tonight. <laughs> Should be a bit fun. Before we delve into the passage, let, let me pray. Heavenly Father, every time we open your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit will teach us. Thank you, thank you so much that people had the, the um, uh, conscious and, and uh, ability to write down what it is that they saw, particularly Peter here um, in, in, John, in John Mark's Gospel, uh, that we can hear and see and understand what Jesus was saying whilst he was walking on earth. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us to understand it as we open it now. Amen. You would have received an outline. Uh, of what I'm having to say. It's two pages. You can make notes on that. Scribble, no paper aeroplanes, please, um, uh, because there'll be a test afterwards. Just joking. Who here has been caught up in a storm, a really big storm? Basil, yeah, Sue, yeah, right. And Jeff, yeah. I've been caught up in a few storms. Uh, sometimes I chase them to see what they're like, but... Uh, the particular one that comes to mind was uh, probably in the early 80s, 1980s, for those of you who are wondering. I was driving from Blacktown to, uh, to our place, well, actually driving from Parramatta to our place at Londonderry, along Richmond Road, which in those days was two-lane. Uh, you remember those days? It wasn't that long ago. Two-lane road. And a, a big storm came out from the southwest with rain and hail and wind uh, and I was driving uh, past the suburb of, I think they call it Glendenning. Anybody know where the Glendenning is? Yep, past there. We're going up the hill and it was so fierce, the storm, that we had to all pull over because the water was rushing down the, down the road uh, on the slope and I'd say, without any um, exaggeration, it would have been that deep. The wind and the rain was were torrential. Now I remember pulling, my ute, by the way, leaked like a sieve. It was a really old ute. And uh, whilst you were safe inside from the wetness, um, Sue will attest to this when I was taking her out before we were married, um, it tended to have more water on the inside than on the outside. Uh, it had a few rust spots here and there. But uh, I was parked on the side of the road. Windscreen washers were going. The wind was blowing so hard, it was blowing against the side window of, of the passenger side up and over the window into the car. 
it was, and the car was, was rocking. Uh, obviously, it was too dangerous to drive. And at one point in time, um, I ducked because a sheet of roofing was b barrel rolling down the road towards, towards what I thought was my car, but it just barrel rolled all through and just kept on going. It was quite awesome. And trees were falling across the road. When the storm actually stopped, the traffic on Richmond Road going towards, uh, towards Richmond from Blacktown was at an absolute snail's pace because power lines were down, trees were across the road. It was just devastation. Now, you might have been through a storm which is bigger than that, but we're not talking about who's been through the biggest storm. You've been through a storm. The storm we're going to talk about here is something which was equally as frightening for the people who were involved. And there's a lot going on in this story. There's only a few verses, but there's a lot going on. And to understand it, we need to look backwards at the Old Testament and just do a quick overview of a few things. Man disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. God, however, promised to his people through Abraham that he would be their God and they would be his people. Now, he kept that part of his promise. He kept it. However, his people, over time, did a whole lot of things other than worship God. They worshipped other gods. They followed other priorities. They followed their own desires on and off over the ages. And we're still guilty of doing that. However, despite that, God was faithful to his promise. And as part of that promise, he said he would send a Messiah. Someone who would save his people and renew that relationship between God and man. The prophets talked about it. The lawgivers talked about it. The patriarchs. The psalmists wrote about it. And the Jews from a very early age were taught that there would be a Messiah. Fast forward now to Jesus' time. So far in our series in Mark, we have been introduced to the man Jesus. Peter, the apostle, was one of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. So he is now getting John Mark to write it down so that other people can learn what happened and to understand who Jesus is. In the earlier chapters that we've been looking at, we see Jesus as the one who sees heaven opened, one on whom the Spirit of God rests, someone who is responsive to the Spirit's guidance, someone who enjoys the ministry of angels, and someone who is validated as his son by God. Mark also tells us that Jesus preaches the word. He teaches, not as any teacher does, but as a teacher with authority that the people have not witnessed before. Not only that, he performs miracles and expels demons and forgives sins. Now, where we are up to in Mark's Gospel is actually a change. We're now going to see 
how Jesus is Lord. We've seen the miracles, we've seen some of the other events, but now we're entering a series within Mark's Gospel where Jesus is seen as Lord. The first of these, Jesus is seen as Lord over nature. That's today's one. I think Jason is preaching next week. Jesus is Lord over evil or the demons. Here we are introduced, oh, sorry, in the Old Testament, God is seen as the Lord and controller of the natural world because it was God who caused the east wind to blow across the Red Sea to allow the people, the children of Israel, to escape from Pharaoh. God is the Lord over nature. Here we have another body of water, the Sea of Galilee. Let me give you a geography lesson very briefly. It's a freshwater lake, not a sea as we know it. It's about 21 kilometres long and 13 kilometres wide. It's about 43 metres deep at its deepest point. The surface area is about the size of Lake Macquarie, just a little bit bigger. And if you want to walk around it, it's 53 kilometres, about from here to Five Dock in the east. Surrounding the sea are hills. On the uh, west side, they sorry on the on the west side that means the Mediterranean side they reach about 430 meters. On the eastern side they reach 760 meters. In winter it snows on the mountains on the east. You think about Palestine being a desert, don't you? A lot of things, but it actually snows on them. The other interesting thing is that the lake is 200 metres below sea level. So if the Mediterranean ever encroaches on the land, it just fill up the lake. So it's below sea level. And not only that, it's on a fault line between the African plate and the Arabian plate. So actually the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River and the Dead Sea are on the joining of two tectonic plates. So the area is very unstable. In recorded history, there's been six major earthquakes in the area which have devastated uh, towns and, and uh, localities uh, over time and dozens and dozens of others. The last recorded quake of about 4.6, I think, on the Richter scale was in July last year. So the earth is always moving in that area. Now something else which is characteristic of the Dead Sea is its legendary storms, okay? What happens is the easterly winds coming from Iraq, Iran, that from that direction, are funneled through ravines in the uh, eastern side of the mountains of Galilee with such force that when they hit the water, they cause the water uh, to agitate and to, for the waves to fall. Now, not waves like we have at the beach, the rolling waves, the surfing sort of waves. People who surf like Nick and others will understand that. But these waves are peaked waves. They're just an agitation of the water. In December 2015, it was recorded that these peaked waves, which were agitated by the wind in a stormy situation, reached 
heights of 10 metres. 10 metres. So they're not small waves. They're dangerous waves. So the cool air rushes to the hot air of the water and it creates this huge disturbance. And when you get a steep chop and no space for the waves to become rolling, there's no time for a boat to climb up over a wave and surf the back of it. You're just continually getting pounded. Pounded to the extent that if you actually turn broadside onto the wind, you'll capsize. So you've got to, like all good... Who's a boatie here? Who understands boats? No? Bob wasn't at the last meeting. Oh, you do, do you? Good. You've got to face the wind. I was on Lake Eildon in a houseboat many years ago with my wife and my good friends from who live in Mittagong now, and we were in a houseboat, and the wind suddenly came up, and we were faced with waves about this high, and we had to face into them, and I lost a pair of thongs overboard, but anyway, that's another story. But yeah, when, you, when you're in a situation like that, you've got to face the wind. Okay. But basically what happens is it pounds and keeps pounding for however long the uh, storm is on. So it's... You'll see pictures of Galilee. If you ever Google Galilee, you'll see this wonderful serenity, beautiful blue skies, glassy water. Don't be fooled. The storms can come at any time. So to the passage. We read in verse 35 that Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Now, if you were to read Mark's Gospel after this account, you'll see the reason he wanted to do that was because he was going to the region of Gennesaret, uh, uh, Gerasene, on the other side of Galilee, where there was a guy who was living in the tombs. He was demon-possessed and causing all sorts of a ruckus. And he goes over there and, and exorcises the demon from him. So Jesus had a purpose for going in the boat. In the meantime, a storm came up. Now, it's getting dark. Who here would go out in a boat on a body of water that potentially has fierce storms just as it's getting dark? Not the most ideal way of travelling over water, is it? We read that Peter, a seasoned fisherman, makes the comment in the passage that they took Jesus as he was. Was Peter hinting that he thought that it was a foolhardy decision on the part of Jesus to set out, set out on the sea so ill-prepared? Not to mention that there were other boats tagging along. Maybe in the back of Peter's mind was a fear that if a storm arose, the boats would all be swamped in the dark. Well, we read that a storm did arise. The waves beat onto the boat so that it was now full and nearly swamped. Peter, Andrew, James and John, four of the disciples, were all seasoned fishermen. They knew their water. They knew the difficulties on there. What would have happened? The storm would have arisen and they would have taken charge. They're the, they're the experts, if you like. They would have taken charge in the, in the main boat where Jesus was and in, if they were also in the other boats. They would understand what needed to happen in the middle of a storm. However, we read that this storm is different to those that they'd experienced before. And we can see from the passage that they were losing 
They were losing it. The boat was almost swamped. They were both scared of dying and probably angry as well. Who would set out at night on a sea in a storm or with a storm pending? The terrible tempest was tearing the boat apart, yet Jesus was asleep in the stern. What was going through their heads? Why are we out here? Why are we in the dark battling this storm? Why are we sinking? Why did Jesus set out? Why weren't we better prepared? How come our lives are all at risk because of all that? Look at him there asleep. He's completely oblivious to our plight. They were scared. They were annoyed. Doesn't he care what's happening to us? Doesn't he care that we're perishing? Doesn't he care? Why is he doing this? They were thinking, teacher, don't you care if we drown? It was probably not the way they said it. Teacher, don't you care that we might drown? It might be more like it. Don't you care that we are perishing? The Greek talks about we are being destroyed. So they were facing complete annihilation. We are perishing is another way of looking at the words that are there. Did they really think that waking Jesus would make any difference? Seems to me that they woke him up simply to tell him, there's a problem, Jesus, we're drowning. Don't you care? And it's underlying that probably, well, it's your fault we set out in the first place. Don't say we didn't tell you, Jesus. May have been underlying and going through their minds. The storm had come up, and how did they deal with it? Well, they deal with it as probably you and I would. Hunker down, face it, and try and work out how to get through it. Right? Relying upon their own resources, relying upon their own experience, relying upon their own skill to save the boat. And now that everything was hopelessly lost, at least they'll wake Jesus up and tell him there's a problem. How come he's sleeping? Doesn't he care? They were terrified. Seasoned fishermen, burly fishermen who had been working the waters, um, fishing the fish, were suddenly and utterly scared because they could not resolve the problem themselves. Yet Jesus was asleep. How can someone sleep through all of this? I mean, the boat would have been, I mean, I would have been throwing up, but Jesus was sleeping through all of this. He was weary. He was tired. He was exhausted from all the teaching that he was doing. And he was preparing himself for the next lot of, of uh, activity that he had with the, uh, the demon-possessed man. Why was he asleep? How could he sleep? Well, Jesus knew that that was not the way that he was going to die. He knew. He was putting his trust in his father. He wasn't fearing the storm at all. He was calm. He was calm. The disciples were frantic. That would have completely unnerved them, wouldn't it? It would unnerve me. Quick, do something! And he's asleep. 
Fear and faith are seen as opposites in the Bible. It was totally the disciples' idea that they were perishing. Mind you, all the evidence that they had before them was pretty pretty good, but it was totally their idea that they were perishing. They'd been in storms before, but this storm was bigger than anything they'd ever encountered. And their conclusion was, we're going to die. This is too big. On the other hand, Jesus had a completely different take on the situation. Jesus had his faith in God. Fear not. Be not afraid. Are phrases that occur over 300 times in scripture. Do you think God's trying to send us a message? Fear not. Be not, not be afraid. This is no coincidence. God has never intended us to live a life of anxiety and worry. Jesus wasn't worried at all. But it's what happened next that took the disciples by complete surprise. Having woken Jesus, Jesus got up and what did he do? He didn't rebuke them. He turned around to the wave, the water and the wind and told it to be still. And at his word, that's what happened. Imagine this, you wake up your leader, ask for help and he starts talking to the water and the wind? Come on. But this is the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made, we read. He used his authority over the forces of nature and instantly the wind, the waves, the wind stopped and the sea calmed. Now, if I was in that situation or if someone rescues us from impending disaster, what would our reaction be? Well, my one would be I'd be full of gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for saving me. What can I do for you? Like, like that, sort of, that sort of reaction. I'd, I'd be over the moon joyful that someone had saved me from that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for saving us. Something along those lines. But no. What was their reaction? Let's read. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were afraid, but their terror was not about the wind and the waves. That's, that had gone. Their terror was at Jesus. What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We know that they were petrified for their lives during the storm, but after he calmed the storm, they were even more petrified. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith, said Jesus? Where is your faith? He rebuked them for fearing the lesser power, the storm, over the greater power, God. Didn't the disciples trust God? Weren't they with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week up to this point? Didn't, didn't they see what he did? Didn't they see his miracle working? Didn't they see his healing? Didn't they see his casting out demons? Didn't they hear his teaching? 
Were they fair-weather Christians? Were they Christians who had faith when things were going well? Having faced something of a calamity with this storm, did their faith suddenly dissolve? They trusted what their eyes saw, what their ears heard. They trusted the experience that they'd had in weathering storms. They trusted the violent force that was tossing the boat around. They trusted that it would roll the boat over at any minute. They trusted the father's, their father's stories. Um, they trusted the stories of other fishermen. They trusted in the tales of the tragedies that they remembered. When the storm was raging and Jesus was sleeping, who looked more powerful? To them, it was the storm. They trusted and feared the power of the storm because the storm kills people. But when Jesus calmed the storm, they were so taken aback, they were afraid of it, but they were more afraid of who this man is. Who is this? Who is this man? If they were familiar with Psalms, they'd know that God is identified as the one who stills the seas, who calms the waves. In our reading today, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. If they knew the law and the prophets, they'd know that Jesus was the one, so that, that, that God was the one who controlled the waves. If they knew the story of Jonah, they would know that God caused the waves to storm and he calmed the storm. They were totally and utterly afraid, disoriented and almost disbelieving what was happening. Who is this man? They almost couldn't bring themselves to realise that the man in the boat with them was God. The one who comes to the storms, the ones that scriptures talk about. Jesus was God and he was in their boat and they shouldn't have had to be afraid at all because that's not the way he was going to die. Whilst ever they were in the boat with Jesus, they were safe. doesn't matter about the storms outside. Were they with Jesus, they are safe. Who is it that even the wind and sea obey him? Knowing what we read in this passage, we should stand in awe of who this Jesus is. Sometimes I think we, uh, we form a relationship in our minds with Jesus that is more like a friendship, like he's a mate, to take an Australian phrase. Uh, but Jesus is God and we need to reverence him in that way. He is the one who has the power over life and death, the power over nature, as we see here, and as we will see in the next few weeks, power over other things as well. We ought to recognise that's who he is. He's not some fellow that we meet down the street and have a cup of coffee with. He is the almighty God. Now, <clears throat> God doesn't promise to keep all of the storms in our lives uh, or to protect us from all the storms that our lives uh, encounter. But he does promise to be with us and to help us through those and to support us along with the other people that in, our, in our life. But before we can approach Jesus, we need to be, in a sense, terrified of him, terrified of his power, not in a negative sense, but in a reverential or reverent way. 
recognising him for who he is. It's only when we recognise that he is the greater power that we will see the lesser powers and the lesser storms in their proper perspective. Some of us in this room <clears throat> will experience uh, terrible sicknesses and illnesses in our lives. If we haven't already, we will have members of our family go through that sort of situation. We will see people uh, suffer horrible deaths. Uh, all of us will, in the end, pass away from this world. Uh, God will continue to be with you. The things of this world are temporary. Uh, the things of God's world are eternal. It's not that we need to believe more in the sense of having more faith. The important thing is that we have the faith that we have in the one who is, the, who is God. So what is, what is our response? In Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, we read this. And Paul is talking. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because that you, you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. The Apostles' lack of faith reminds us that even those who lived and walked with Jesus, who saw his miracles firsthand, heard his message, still found it difficult to remain 100% faith-filled all the time. We're a lot like them. Their lack of faith was rebuked, and by extension, so is ours. If Jesus was able to rescue the apostles from the storm, he can rescue us as well. When Jesus gave orders to go to the other side, he knew that a storm was coming. He is all-knowing. He is all-seeing. He is all-wise. But even with the storm brewing, he decided to launch out. The Lord doesn't promise that we will never see a storm in life. And in fact, he tells us to expect trouble as, as his people. But he's promised to be with us. He will never leave us alone in the midst of trouble. And with perseverance, we will overcome. Jesus is truly human. He was exhausted and he was sleeping but he is also God. Peace, be still, and the winds and the water obeyed. The safety of the boats and the boats uh, on the water at that time was never in question as far as Jesus was concerned. While Jesus was in the boat, there was not a risk. To be in the presence of God and not to recognise God is a greater risk. God our Father walked this earth in the presence in the person of his son Jesus. He encountered human he was all human, he encountered other humans. He lived and walked and talked and left us 
with all of the information that we need in his word to be able to obey him, to be able to have faith in him and to rely upon him in all the storms that we have in life. But we need to be slightly terrified of that because while we are in God's presence, he is the one who sustains us. And in our terror, we need to revere him, give him the due, due reverence that he, he deserves as our God and Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you did walk this earth, that you caused yourself to be uh, crucified and that you rose again from the dead to save us. We understand how difficult it is as Christians to always be thinking about our relationship with you because we get so distracted by the things of the world, the storms and the calms. Help us, Father, to look always to you in everything that we do. Amen. <laughs>